The Print Files, where we bring you the inside story on the printing industry by Print21, the people who know print. Uh, Good day, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Leading in Print from the industry's podcast, The Print Files. In the Leading in Print series, we talk to print business owners for some insight and inspiration into what makes them tick, how they make their decisions, how they handle the responsibility that comes with leadership, what they're looking forward to. Today, it's a real pleasure to welcome Fred Saw to the podcast. Fred is Managing Director of Sawprint in Auckland, which is celebrating its 100th year in business this year. Sawprint is a pioneering business in many ways, diversifying, acquiring, and leading the way in environmental awareness and systems. Fred, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Wayne. Fred, your early days, you joined Sawprint 30 years ago after a career in finance. Uh, What made you decide you wanted a career in print? Uh, Probably a a letter written uh, from my mother to me when I was living in London in the late 80s. And uh, I'd sort of always um, worked in the family business, like my other siblings, over school holidays, university holidays. And uh, then I, you know, finished my degree in um, accounting and finance and did my OE. And then I think it was late late 80s, things weren't going that well in New Zealand. And basically my mother said, if you want to get involved in the family business, now's the time to come home and uh, give us a hand. And I think it was uh, more or less, you know, my dad was in his late 60s at that stage and things were changing pretty dramatically. And, yeah, I just thought, look, it's an opportunity to effectively work for myself or work for my family. And um, I guess a, sort of almost a bit of a quick start to trying to be a bit more entrepreneurial in my career. And I guess that's what drove me into it. Okay. And you were you mentioned that you did a degree in finance. Um, what's your approach to education? How valuable do you see it today for yourself and for your members of staff? We do value it a lot. And, um, you know, I think everyone can see that the world is changing at never faster pace. It's the, the way that we do things today is not going to be the way that we do them tomorrow. So we need to continuously learn uh, both as individuals and an organisation. And um, we, we place a lot of emphasis on training. We always have three apprentices. Uh, we do a lot of internal training. We make sure all our staff are cross-trained. We do a lot of work uh, on our IT systems and, and making sure that people are brought up to speed. Um, there's a lot of industry training that's available now, um, which is funded a lot by the New Zealand government at the stage, and uh, we're taking advantage of that. But uh, yeah, I mean, myself, I still get business coaching, so to speak. I've had several business coaches that sort of also give me, I guess, a bit more motivation and um, I guess try and tell me the stuff that I don't know because um, I think it's the old adage, you don't know what you don't know and, and I guess the more you can find out about that, the better you can make your life. So for those business coaches who come in alongside you, is that something you do kind of systematically? You're requesting, okay, it's been three years, I'll get, an, I'll get a guy in, or is it just when you're facing certain issues? How, I mean, how does it work? Yeah, there's a bit of, bit of both there, Wayne. Um, you know, I do use outside parties if I have a big problem that I'm a bit unsure about, you know, whether I'm solving it correctly or, you know, is this the best way to do it? The other part is... The team and I have done, I guess, uh, like a little cluster learning group. I mean, it's things whether we do like a um, lean manufacturing course as a senior management team or um, we go to this business coaching cluster whereby we meet other people from like-sized companies and swap ideas and talk about things that are going on and then learn a few modules and things like could be stress management, It could be in how to accelerate your growth. It could be on how to monitor your customer feedback. 
various things that help you along the way. Okay, and it's obviously something you believe in because you haven't just done it as a one-off, you do it regularly? Yeah, it's, um, like I said, it, things change all the time. And, you know, how you're trained or how you're taught to do a particular aspect of your of your work will alter over the life of your employment. And you need to work out how to adapt and to make sure that you are moving with the times. And one way to do that is through getting training. And as a business leader, as a managing director of the company, you obviously invest your money and time into your employees to make sure they're part of the training process. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, we were lucky enough just on Friday night to uh, win two awards at the New Zealand um, Pride and Print Awards. We had the Apprentice of the Year and we also had the Trainer of the Year and uh, we were pretty happy about that and being recognised for that. And we do feel that's part of our culture and, um, yeah, I think the whole company, I think, wants us to make sure they're being brought up to speed and that we are keeping with the times. One way to do that is through training. For sure. Okay, it's good to hear. Um, how did your career within Sawprint progress? Obviously, a family business. Were you always going to be the managing director? Did you come in as managing director? How, how did that work out? I, I actually came in as a sales rep for the first year and you know, having worked as a financial accountant and a management accountant, it was quite a change. Suddenly, I was getting in front of people and and trying to get people to take your phone calls and trying to get people to get back to you and uh, trying to convince people that you, they needed your service, a uh, pretty steep learning curve. And, um, yeah, I actually really enjoyed it. it um, I guess it taught me uh, a new aspect. Um, you know, it was no longer the corporate life. It was like you had to get out there and hustle and make things happen. And um, I really enjoyed that. And after about a year of that, my father said, look, I think you're, you know, ready to probably move up and, and take the place over. Of course, he always uh, he hung around. I had the pleasure of working with him for 11 years before he passed away. And he had two rules. Um, I couldn't buy any equipment. I couldn't fire around without uh, letting him know first. So they seemed to stand us in good stead. But he pretty much gave me free reign. We had a lot of arguments about things. But it was more, I guess, just you know trying to get him to understand we had to move with the times and do a lot of change. I mean, that line about you couldn't buy any equipment, obviously that's long gone because Sawprint is well known as a, as a pioneer. You put in the first of this, the first of that, and the first of the other, don't you, in New Zealand? Yeah, it was more I had to talk them into it, Wayne. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. It wasn't just a unilateral decision. It was like, <laughs> Dad, we need to write out a check for this, you know, and here's why. Sawprint's grown, Fred, consistently under your leadership, which hasn't been the case for all print businesses, of course. Plenty have stagnated, plenty have fallen away. Uh, what would you say of the reasons, are the reasons for the growth of Sawprint over the last 30 years since you've been there? I think it's come back to the willingness to, I guess, evolve and change. So I don't think we've ever got to where we're doing a process and felt, yeah, this is great, this is good enough. I think we've always thought, how can we do this better? And, um, you know, we talk to the team and engage the team and, and you know, get um, opportunities for improvement or IFIs coming back through our lean manufacturing system. And the whole company is constantly working out, how can we do this smarter? How can we make it better? How can we work to, I guess, providing the ultimate solution for our clients and, and, and taking this least pain along the way to, you know, produce this product for them. So we've always wanted to adopt new technologies and um, sometimes I think we've done that probably just before uh, there's a viable business case, it's sort of taking the plunge and trying to be the first, you know, into the market. I mean, we're the first one to have any colour Heidelberg, any colour press back in about 2009. We're the first printer in New Zealand to have a Heidelberg XL 102 back in... 
2007, um, we were, I think, one of the first commercial printers to have an indigo. Um, back in 2004, we put in the first Osei inkjet press in 2017, the Sheepfield inkjet i300. And, you know, all these things come with uh, a steep learning curve, a bit of grief. Uh, you have a lot of naysayers. You know, I think my favourite one was when we put in the Heidelberg Anti-Colour, my production manager started calling it the Anti-Colour. And uh, <laughs> it took me a while to beat that out of him. Uh, but I said to him, mate, if you're going to start calling it, it's going to be there. And uh, he got the message and it went on to be, a, you know, quite a successful piece of equipment. But, yeah, there's always that challenge when you when you want to do something. It's not always going to work and it's not always, hardly ever works the way you thought it would. Uh, but it does require a commitment from the team and perseverance and um, I guess just the resilience to go through the stuff that doesn't always go right. Yeah, so you really, you you bought a lot of new equipment. Obviously, we know printing is a capital-intensive business. You're a family-owned company. You've really backed yourself over the years. Do you, when you sign the check and go home that night, do you have a sleepless night? Or do you, you, know, do you think, nope, I've done the right thing there. You know, the, the, the numbers add up, all good. Uh, yeah, no, I sleep pretty well now. Um, I can't say that was always the case. But I think, um, yeah, as time's gone on, you guess to, you know, you do realise that things usually turn out, sometimes not the way you planned, but, you know, most things do turn out. You can spend a lot of time worrying about stuff that actually never happens, so you just waste a lot of energy. And uh, it does take a long time to actually get yourself to realise that you can, you can waste a lot of energy worrying about stuff. So you can only control what you control, Wayne, and uh, that's what we try and do. And along, alongside the equipment investment you talked about there, the new technology, the other aspect you mentioned was the being creative with the customers. You're not just a saw print, I get the impression, isn't just an order-taking manufacturer. You're part of your strategy is to get alongside them, find out what they really want and try and come up with solutions. Am I right in thinking that? Yeah, I mean, with a lot of our new clients, we do what's called our future print audit. So we get in there, have a good look under the hood, look at their buying patterns, see what they're doing and why. And then come back to them with recommendations on, okay, this is how you can actually do things differently, how you can get your communications better, how you can potentially save some money, how you can reduce your obsolescence, uh, how you can do things and um, be more, I guess, sustainable in your approach to how you're doing them, how you can reduce your carbon footprint with your print. So that's uh, that, that's the rewarding part, I think, is when you can go to clients and actually a lot of it's, it's integrating with their IT systems and getting you know, your APIs working between each other and, and, you know, your information sharing and the ordering made really easy. And that, that's when it does become rewarding because you know that you've added value to their business. And um, also it means that you make them more sticky as a client. It's going to be hard for them to find someone else who can actually offer that level of service. Absolutely, yeah. You're going you're gonna to be close to them, aren't you? Yeah. Because they, you're giving that. And are they surprised when you come up with that kind of level of engagement with them that you've just talked about? Some of them are very sceptical to begin with, and it's a lot of change. It's got to be the willingness to change in their organisation. I think a lot of people get worried about their jobs, uh, you know, if you're taking away parts of the ordering process that involve them um, or even functions that they're doing and just saying, look, here's an alternative way to do it that uh, will be more efficient. Um, so it does require a bit of buy-in from uh, the customer, but when you partner with the right people, that happens quite easily. Okay. All right. So, Fred, in your, as managing director, leader of the family business, uh, what values would you say have used to underpin your leadership and your decision-making? Ooh. Well, we do have our company values, um, and I think that probably extols the best um, 
of what we do here. And how we came across those is about 12 years ago, uh, we did a bit of a sort of deep dive into the company culture and I had a uh, consultant come in and he said, look, let me find out what makes your place tick. He did a lot of interviews with the staff and um, a lot of focus groups and uh, he would do things like he'd say, right, now tell us about the legends of the company and what made them a legend. And, um, you know, tell us about a time where you guys all feel really proud about what you did and, and what happened. And uh, we got quite a few um, values that came out of them, six in fact. Um, I won't take you through all of them. Um, but I think, you know, one of them is craft and pride. So we say, look, we can have all this whiz-bang machinery, but you still need to have people who understand print and they still need to have pride in their work. And, and those are, you know, values that we really, really want to have in our team here and something that we um, that we believe in. Uh, details, details, details. Um, we all know print's uh, pretty unforgiving when you get it wrong, so it's all about how do we do things right first time and how we pay attention and, and look at things and the sort of minuscule detail that is required when you're printing in, in pixels and uh, performing jobs to, you know, various bespoke requirements. Other values, uh, people matter, you know, and, and that's about it. We, we believe in... People in your workplace should be treated with respect and your customers should be treated with respect and your customers should treat your staff with respect and you should treat your suppliers with respect. And, um, you know, we believe that that's just a way you should do business and that's not negotiable. And, yeah, and fair play is another one we've got, which is, uh, you know, we charge a fair price. Um, we pay our staff a uh, fair wage. And, um, you know, that's the way we should let our suppliers charge us a fair price as well. It's... It's not all about lowest cost. It's about doing things in a fair and reasonable manner. So they're just four six values that we have. Okay, yeah, terrific. And um, let's talk about your own personal leadership development, Fred, if we can. Is that something that's planned and supported with uh, external input, regular or occasional, or is it just, and staging posts? Have you got goals that you're getting to? Or is it kind of more organic than that and, and it just kind of you see what happens as you go along? Uh, as I said, you know, I do have a business coach and a lot of that's been around talking about how I'm coaching my staff and that's something that I've actually focused on a lot more in recent years as opposed to sort of doing the work and, and trying to get the results myself and, you know, throw myself into deep analysis and, and all the other things. It's, um, I'm spending more time trying to coach the team and giving them, I guess, more opportunity to feedback stuff to me that would be useful. So, yeah, look, my leadership style, um, I have always, you know, for the last 20-something years, I've always had a business coach of some sort who I can bounce ideas off and also just give me feedback on how I'm doing as a leader, um, which is really important. Is your business coach uh, the same person or do you kind of have whoever's around? I have, you know, I have swapped them around a bit. Um, you know, I have used one sort of group coaching session with uh, who was basically coaching the senior management team, and then I've used other people who were just maybe coaching three of us at one time. And uh, yeah, it's like having your own business shrink. Really, you get to go alone, <laughs> and, and and they have a bit of a laugh with you. And uh, and then you know they always do good things too. They always put you into like little groups with other business owners because it's the uh, the funniest thing. Whether it's you know whether you're a printing company or whether you're an architect or um, you know with your real estate agent, there's all people are going through similar things. And uh, quite often it's lonely because the only person you feel you really report to is the bank manager sometimes. So uh, 
it's nice to have a bunch of, I guess, um, colleagues or friends that you can all sit together and whinge about the same stuff. Yeah, because as you say, I mean, eighty percent of business is the same. Whatever you're doing, it's just the application. This <clears throat> the application is different, and that's that loneliness that you mentioned there. It can be lonely at the top, um, and so to have that opportunity that you're taking, do you do that? Like, is it once a quarter, or once a year? How often do you kind of go through that? I'm having monthly business coaching um, at the moment, which I find really useful. Um, of course, I do work with both my sisters, so they're the other bouncing boards, and um, you know, we do uh, we, we do get on pretty well, I'm, I'm glad to say. And, uh, you know, we know we can rely on each other when things get tough, which is great. Yeah, I was actually going to mention that next. So your two sisters are also in the business, uh, which I guess has pros and cons, uh, but mainly mainly pros, I imagine. Yeah, I think uh, the pros are that, you know, you have this implicit trust that uh, I guess most people have with your siblings. Um, you know, you never sort of feel as if anyone's got a heap sitting agenda or, you know, you know that your goal is pretty much aligned. Um, I think the cons are it makes for a pretty boring Christmas Day lunch. So, yeah. Do you take uh, steps, Fred, to make sure you're leading the company into profitable areas? I mean, would you have off-site strategy days, for instance, with senior management? Do you have targets and goals that you that you set out at the start of the year that you think, right, okay, this is, this is where we want to move to, this is what we want to do? How does that work for you? Uh, yeah, look, we, once a year we'll get together and we'll do our strategic plan where we try and, you know, roadmap out the next five years. You know, it's a, it's a moving target, but you've got to look that way and we try to look out, you know, what does our CapEx uh, require in the next five years so we're not hit with any, I guess, unexpected costs, but we also know we're providing for the future, you know, bits of equipment need to be retired, what are you going to do to replace them, how are you going to get efficiencies when you do that. So we do that once a year, uh, and then we set our um, annual budget, financial budget, which is reviewed um, six monthly, and that involves the whole senior management team. And then we uh, we meet monthly at the um, senior management team, and um, we just go through each area that we're working on and just report in on whether it's health and safety or marketing or sales or operations, you know, we just cover off the areas of the projects that we're working on, just make sure everyone's aligned. And then on top of that, um, every 10.30 every morning, I have a, I guess what I call a powwow with my um, operations manager and, and my general manager. And we just get together and for half an hour, we just go through any issues that we think should be addressed, anything that's urgent. And I find that's really useful because we, uh, we, we're we pretty much on top of things. Nothing ever gets to a head. Okay, yeah. So you've got some, obviously some clear communication going on with the company, which is which is great to see. Um, over the years also, you've you've bought integrated several businesses within the group. Uh, and merging businesses is never always easy to get wrong. Um, you're, you're obviously doing something right. So what's your approach to, to acquisition and merger? Well, I think the most the fundamental thing is to make sure you get on with the uh, – people that you want to get on board and that, you know, your values are aligned. So, you know, if your values aren't aligned, it's probably not going to work or it's not going to work well. You, you all have to sort of, you know, I talked about our values briefly before and, you know, I have to make sure that these people have similar values to those. Um, but conversely, you know, I'm, I'm always looking at what they can bring, what different strengths they have that they might be able to bring to the company. And, and a lot of the acquisitions we've done of the 12, they were, back in the old days, adding sort of strategic advantages to the business just as opposed to growing turnover. There was always some synergistic move and that we were take, gone into a slightly new market that meant we could grow and, and just 
use the capabilities of both what we had and actually come out with a little bit more. But, yeah, and, and then it's you just get the people on board and, you know, generally if people aren't happy, you, you, they'll leave within the first year and, you know, you just carry on from there. And we've had some very, you know, I've got some very long-serving staff from some acquisitions and, yeah, generally it's worked pretty well. Yes. Uh, and one thing that uh, SOAR has also got a reputation for, well-known for, is your commitment to environmental printing or environmental awareness. What's been your motivation for that and, and what do you think you've achieved? Yeah, look, we as directors, um, you know, going back over a decade ago now, we, we had a meeting and sustainability, and, and I think at the time it was triple bottom line accounting I've just sort of been introduced to. And we discussed that, you know, when we talk about business, it's not just about your bottom line. Of course, you need a, a profitable bottom line to continue to stay in business. But it's also about giving back to the community and also, you know, thinking very sustainably about your business. And we decided that as a third generation, family owned printing business, that it really struck a chord with us. Uh, we we realise and, and we believe that, we actually don't own anything. We're only using these resources during our lifetime. And it's our duty as, as um, good community members and also as parents and grandparents to make sure that we leave the environment uh, or the, the resources that we use in as good a state, if not better, uh, than when we took them over. So, you know, I can't see why anyone really wouldn't think that was the way to operate your business. So... We got involved in that. We went through a whole range of environmental initiatives. I think the stand at the time was run by Landcare Research, and you had EnviroCare. It was EnviroCare, bronze, silver, gold. Then we did platinum, diamond. Then we went to ISO 14001. Then we decided that we begin carbon neutral as an organisation, so we measure our carbon footprint every year, and then we voluntarily offset our carbon footprint that we create within our organisation. And we buy carbon credits to do that. And um, But it's not just about buying the carbon credits. You actually have to show that you reduce your carbon footprint every year. So we're actively working on ways to reduce our waste landfill, our fuel consumption, our electricity consumption, um, water, everything that goes into creating uh, your carbon footprint. And um, the good thing about that that a lot of people don't get is it's not just compliance. You actually save money by doing all that stuff. So, again, I can't get it why people don't embrace this and get into it more because it's just about running your business efficiently and you just happen to be doing the right thing for the planet at the same time. Um, I don't think it really matters if you're a climate change denier or not. You're going to save money by doing it, so what's there to lose? Uh, if someone comes out and says, um, oh, this climate change thing, well, it wasn't what we thought. Really, have you done anything wrong by doing this? I think you actually only save money. So, uh, you know, I think everyone should get into it. Um, but it really, um, our staff really like it, um, particularly the youngest staff. A lot of them actually looking for it in, in employment. They want to know that you're working for a company that has um, a, a sustainable mindset um, and wants to reduce their carbon footprint. And uh, more and more customers are coming on board and saying, look, we really want this. Um, we want to know how we reduce your carbon footprint. You know, can you tell us a bit on how to do it? Not just their print, they're asking a bit about how can we as an organisation reduce our carbon footprint. And we were lucky enough last year to be named uh, Climate Action Leaders at the Sustainable Business 
Network Awards last year, and we felt, you know, we're up against Fonterra and a, a few large companies like that, and uh, we felt pretty proud that um, we were recognised as a sort of small to medium business that was actually doing the right thing. Fantastic, yes. So great to hear, Fred. And you, uh, you're a printing, obviously, came from when you joined the business 30 years ago. It was still quite a dirty manufacturing business. It's changed massively over the years. I mean, the, the stats are something like 95% better than it was. Have you found it easy or difficult to implement those changes in your own processes, your manufacturing within the business? Look, I think it's um, a lot of it's hats off to the suppliers. They're actually working very hard to make sure that they're getting the recycling streams correct. They've reduced the amount of chemicals, uh, reducing the amount of power that you need to run the equipment. You know, they've led the way a lot to make have as smaller impact on the environment as it can. And you know, the fact that we're using paper, which is a, a recyclable resource, is, is tremendous as well. And um, yeah, it's. Uh, Sometimes getting your staff to buy into doing things different can be difficult, but if you frame it in the right way, if you explain why we're doing it, it is very good. The other thing uh, we find is if we work with our suppliers who aren't perhaps thinking so much about what's happening to their waste, um, that does create a bit of change. You know, We will now say when we're installing a new piece of equipment, whatever we can't recycle, you need to take back and... Um, by the way, all the stuff you're recycling, we want to know how you're recycling it, and we also want to know what happens to the stuff you can't recycle. And uh, I think that just push, pushes the pressure back up the supply chain to make sure everyone is really thinking about, you know, what are we doing here? You know, why are we using all these different products? Are they necessary? Is there a smarter way we can do it? Fred, as well as uh, leading your own business, uh, you play a role in the in the broader industry. You're a board member of Print New Zealand or Print NZ. Uh, what's your motivation for that? And what do you think the industry is doing to encourage younger leaders to come through? Well, I think I was approached about probably three years ago to join the board of Print New Zealand. And um, at the time, I thought, yeah, okay, work. <laughs> is it, you know, how much work is this going to be? But to be honest, it's it's not that much work. I joined the board and um, subsequent to that, I found the board members really good to work with. Um, I found, you know, obviously, Ruth Cobb, she's amazing what she did, particularly last year, the way she supported the industry during COVID was, was phenomenal. And, you know, I think our role is like, how do we look after the future of the print industry? You know, we know that volumes are declining rapidly and we know that we get a bad rap about using paper. But what is our role as an industry body to actually people understand that print isn't bad? And like we've seen with the use of cardboard packaging, it's actually better than a lot of alternatives. So our role is to actually get that message out there and to, I guess, change the sort of, I guess, misinformed public perception of what print's um, really about. As to what we're doing about bringing younger leaders through, uh, obviously there'll be more people coming onto the board of Print New Zealand as people retire, and I'm sure we're getting younger leaders coming through there. Um, there is a pretty good training course being run by Competence New Zealand with about uh, print management that a lot of people are going through. And as I said, it's been made really accessible by the government at the moment. You can pretty much do it for free. And um, print, it's, it's a difficult one. I mean, I think people look at print, particularly the younger generation, and they see people walking around with earmuffs, work boots, ink on their hands, um, you know, in a noisy factory. And then... What they don't see is pretty much state-of-the-art equipment, touchscreens, automation, and um, I guess just the pride and the work coming off and, and the impact that has. 
And, uh, yeah, I know that we'll be working hard in Privy New Zealand to make sure that the younger graduates um, keep coming, that we get apprentices on uh, to the team. And I know that we're working hard with competence at the moment to make sure that happens. Okay. Um, and Fred, 30 years in print leadership, um, what would be the main lessons you've learned in print leadership that you would like to pass on to the younger generation of emerging leaders? <laughs> Don't worry about things that never happen. It's probably the top of the list. You know, and it's taken me a long time to work that one out. But the amount of uh, amount of times I've laid awake at night thinking something disastrous is going to happen tomorrow and it never has, uh, to me, it's just the most wasted time in my life. So, yeah, look, you know, just roll with the punches. Most things work out. I mean, above all, if you if you run your business, if you act in a, how can I say, a responsible way, uh, that, you know, you don't tell your clients porky so you can't get caught out. I've seen that happen a few times uh, with the odd sales rep of, of you know, said things that shouldn't happen, you know, you don't need to do any of that. Just if you've got a problem, particularly I know what it's like when you're going to front up to a client when you're late with the delivery or you're missing a crucial deadline. And, looks things do happen that are out of your control. You know, just front up and do it. The longer you leave it, the worse it is. And, um, you know, pretty much i found that you can trust most people in business. And, um, you know, I pretty much trust everyone until they prove it otherwise. Thanks, Fred. Finally, leadership can take a toll. Uh, how do you achieve some balance in your life? Are you able to relax at weekends or what do you do? I've got it pretty um, pretty worked out at the moment. I normally start the day off with a bit of exercise, you know, whether it's going to the gym or more recently I've been playing nine holes of golf before work, teeing off at seven o'clock in the dark, um, which has been a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, I've got a pretty good team around me. I am a chair of a charity called Play It Strange that – promotes songwriting in schools and I have a lot of fun with that charity and um, I do get to see some great kids coming through uh, who are songwriters and uh, just seeing the, I guess, their ability and their confidence, it's something quite nice to see and quite different from what I'm doing. Um, And, yeah, look, I've planned myself a nice big ski holiday this year, so I'm looking forward to uh, probably about a month out of the office working remotely, as they say. We'll see how that goes. I won't have to come back in a hurry, but... Yeah, and no, I do make time for holidays and for spending time with family and friends. And that's the important thing. Quite right, Fred. Listen, it's been great talking with you. Thanks so much for your time. You've given us a real insight and I'm sure some inspirations, particularly to some of the younger generation with your comments and uh, insights and experience there. That's it for uh, for this episode of The Print Files, Leading in Print. Thanks to Fred Saw, Managing Director of Saw Print in Auckland, for sharing that. This is me, Wayne Robinson, from Print21, signing off for another week. The Print Files podcast is produced by Southern Skies Media on behalf of Print 21, owned and published by Yaffa Media. The views of the people featured on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of Print 21, Yaffa Media, or the guest's employer. The contents are copyright by Yaffa Media. If you wish to use any of this podcast audio, please contact Print 21 via their website, that's print21.com.au, or send an email to editor at print21.com.au. You can subscribe to The Print Files via your preferred platform and read all the latest news on the printing industry at print21.com.au. You've been listening to a Yappa Media Podcast.